Hi, this is Olivia Cook. And I'm Amber Duffney. And this is The Empowered Woman. Badass and unfiltered. We show women that they can still be a badass, make a difference in the world, leave a legacy, all while rocking their femininity. Now let's dive in. Awesome. Awesome. So thank you so much, Sparrow, for being with us today. Um, So Sparrow Spalding is a trauma survivor. She's also a trained therapist, has spent years working in the field of addiction, mental health, child and family therapy, as well as uh, life coaching. She spends, uh, has spent a great deal of time working with children with autism and Asperger's and has an extensive training in energy medicine, health, and nutrition. Uh, for many years, her passion was diving into the trenches with each client to help get their head above water to uh, heal their pain. Um, and now she's just completed her first memoir titled Riding Standing Up, which chronicles her own trauma story. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, today with us, Sparrow. I am thrilled. I know that you have such an amazing story and uh, such an amazing background. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. Very excited. So uh, tell us a little bit about how your story kind of the culmination of, of making this memoir, because, you know, on your website, it says, you know, it took you 44 years to get, mm-hmm. get this together. So tell us about that journey. Sure, sure. Well, first of all, I will just tell you, and never in a million years did I ever think I'd write the story of my life, because I was so ashamed of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and never. Uh, it, I always wanted to write. I got my first writing award when I was, I think, nine. And I yeah. love to write. It was very healing for me to always write in journals and diaries when I was a kid and just love to read, love to write. But I always thought I'd write a self-help book. I never thought I'd write the story of my life. Mm-hmm. Or I thought I'd write, you know, in the field of psychology, you know, something along those lines. And so uh, I think it, the year was, let's see, 2015. I went through mm-hmm. a really, really painful breakup. And uh, my mom had been really sick for a long time. A lot of things happened. And uh, I just wrote an essay. I woke up feeling really awful one day. It was Father's Day. And my sister had posted something on Facebook about our stepdad. And I, I didn't really like what she posted. You know, I didn't agree with it, but I didn't say anything to her. But I got really angry. And uh I wrote this essay (laughs) and it was very, it was just dark. It was called (laughs) Happy Father's Day dot, dot, dot to me. (laughs) Uh, And really, you know, I had a dad and two stepdads and I mean, they were all just not great parents. And, you know, I really passed a lot of the hurt and anger, but looking back, I can kind of laugh about it now and go, 
they really sucked. I mean, they were terrible, <laughs> terrible dads. I had the worst role models growing up. I mean, we're talking about addiction, drugs, alcohol. My own biological father abducted me when I was three years old from my mother very violently. Uh, my mom remarried a third time, and that husband was just he was a rageaholic. He was mean. He was cruel. Uh, he married a woman who had three kids. He had no business doing that. He didn't want to be a dad to, to us kids. And so, and you know, I was dealing with him right mm. through my uh, tween and teen years, you know, when you're so full of angst anyway, and you, you've had yeah. such a tumultuous life. So I wrote mm-hmm. this essay, being the oldest, um, I, I wrote about, you know, how basically I was the parent for my younger siblings, right? Mm. I on the car loans. I made sure they got into college. I took care of them growing up. And, you know, I kind of detailed out in this essay, all the things that, uh, all the, all the awful things my dads had taught me and how I had, was the one that had to pick up the pieces. And, uh, I wrote this thing and it was so awful. I sent it to my sister. I should not have done this. I sent it to her on father's day. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. I was just like, I was, Oh, it was terrible. And she writes back, Oh my gosh, your essay gave me so much heartburn. <laughs> yeah. She was not in a place. She was not in a place to even look at it. And so basically what she had posted on Facebook was this picture of our stepdad and just like glossing over all of the awfulness and like, oh, you know, my stepdad really um, encouraged me to cook and, you know, gave me my love of cooking, which is absolutely, in my opinion, not true. It might be true in her opinion, but it wasn't true. And I'm just like, oh, I was just so angry. So mm. Fast forward, um, it felt really good to write that. And then I realized mm. when I wrote it that there was so much unhealed stuff inside of me. Even though I'd had so much therapy, I'd had so much trauma work, there was just this, I don't know what it, what you'd call it. There was this like story that was already telling itself inside of me and it just had to come out on paper. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That makes total sense, Farrah. Yeah. So I hired a writing coach when I did this because I said, you know, I don't want to just write this like horrible memoir ripping apart all the people in my life that were mean to me, right? Uh, I said, I want to tell this accurate story and, um, you know, my story, but from a, a broader perspective of if it could help somebody else, mm. that would be great. So, mm, yeah. So if I hadn't have hired a coach, I don't think I would finish the project because it's so painful. It mm. was gut-wrenching. It took me about a year and a half or two years to write, and then a whole year of editing that, you know, whatever. Oh, that was intense, too, because um, you have to read your story over and over and over, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Relive it. Yes, yes. And you totally, re- for me anyway, I totally relived it while I was writing I cry. I can't tell you how many times I, I mean, tears, just cry, cry, cry. Sadness, I kind of hold up in my place. Now, at the time, I was still coaching and consulting. So I would, I would like put on that face, I'd do my job, and I was still great at my job. But then I'd get home, and I'd instantly go into this other place where I'd sit at the computer, and I'd write to like 11 o'clock at night, and just like, mm-hmm. cry, 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 yeah. go to bed, wake up, and go do it again, like work, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Pushing through. Yep. Yep. That's how it started. Now I have to tell you, I don't want to tell too much of my sister's story, but 
So that sister, she's my middle sister. Uh, she has since gone and gone through some therapy and then wrote her own memoir. And I can't wait to oh, know wow. because I haven't read it yet. Um, mm. she finished it now it's in the editing process. So, uh, but we've talked a lot about it. She's read me parts and, um, her accessing her own stuff and not always putting a smiley face on everything, I think has been really transformational for her too. So. Absolutely. I think there's, there's something to be said about toxic positivity. Like there's, there's a place and a time for positive mindset, no question. But when you come from trauma, pushing that aside and not dealing with it, I think allows it to fester. And it sounds like that's kind of what happened with you. Yeah. And I would say what was also happening was because I hadn't truly, truly healed the trauma of not only being abducted, not only mm-hmm. you know having loser dads, but how they personally affected my development so that when I went out into the world, the types of men I chose to be with, that mm-hmm. was where it just, I kept reliving my trauma in different ways. Yeah. Right. But it's almost like, cause you know, when you go through so much trauma, sometimes you will grow up and you'll just keep re-victimizing yourself and you keep blaming the other person, which, and I'm not saying they didn't deserve blame because they, you know, I looked under right. every rock for my boyfriend. <laughs> like, <laughs> seriously, it was like, you know, the human shelter pet, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, on the surface, it was so easy to blame them. But uh, really and truly, it was me re-victimizing myself because I didn't have, I just, I couldn't overcome the momentum of this is what I'm used to. This is what I gravitate towards. Oh, you need help. Oh, you need this. Okay, I'm your person. Oh, and plus I have two psych degrees. I could heal all your stuff. I can tell you how to live. I'm a life coach, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it becomes a self-fulfilling travesty, <laughs> right? I love that. Yes, it's a great way to say it. And yes, and by the time um, I was 40, how old am I now? So probably 42, 43, when I'd gone through that last breakup. Um, I mean, it was just like, oh my gosh, I'm in my 40s. I'm still dealing with this. Like, I don't have another one in me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I can't do it again. Mm-hmm. I can't. So that's where it all just kind of started unraveling in a different way. And you know, what's really interesting. I look back and I go, okay, I went through so much trauma work and I went through so much counseling. I don't know if I hadn't written this book, I don't know if I would have been able to break the cycle, honestly. Mm. So I really encourage all the clients and people that I work with, you know, you don't have to write a whole book, but write your story, like write it out. Uh, it was the, it was the missing link in my healing. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I think a lot of people find writing very cathartic. Uh, I have like you, I have, and it's funny, my daughter's the same way. She, she just, she'll be 10 next week and she loves to journal and loves to write. And I feel like for me, as a young woman, young adolescent going through, you know, all the crap I went through in my life. Definitely that having that outlet. It's almost like it's, it's an outlet to allow that energy to, to release in some way. Yeah, absolutely. And it did. And it, and it does. 
and uh, yeah, I was uh, I was talking to my sister the other day, and I said, "Well, I said when you get ready to do the audio recording of your book, uh, I have all the equipment, so you'll have to come visit me, you know, and do all that." And she mm-hmm. said, "Yeah, someday when I can get through reading it without crying." And I said, "You will, you will, yeah, but it it'll take a while." So absolutely, um, it's just. I mean, yeah, I I can't explain how much emotion just got processed. And then after that, I I was reading something by a memoirist. I can't remember who it was, but she said, you know, there's this period of time, like when you write a memoir, like it's so draining and it was draining. And then um, I, I got weird things, by the way, that I'd never experienced. I got some strange uh, bout of eczema all over my back Wow! Uh, that the doctors thought was shingles. I thought it was all this stuff and, and it was just, and I could not, medications didn't touch it. Nothing touched it. It was just emotions coming through. I didn't feel good. I was getting headache. Like it just, uh, you know, it just drained you in some, in so many ways. But then after that, there was a period of numbness. Mm. I just poured all of this out. You kind of feel like an empty vessel. Yeah. So your cells rearrange themselves, your, your body, your inner energy field has to rearrange itself because it was like, you know, completely just dumping out your purse. Like there's nothing, there's nothing there. So I had to almost redefine myself. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And that makes sense. So when you look at like the the process you know what's what's been different for me for you and your life and like the choices you've made and and things like that when you look at the before and the after of this this memoir which was more than just a memoir clearly sure sure um well (laughs) let's see uh so okay so Somehow during that process, um, I did start dating somebody that I had known for six years. And I didn't know for what, he was a healthcare practitioner of mine. I won't say exactly what he did, but uh, he was like, oh, I've always had this crush on you and blah, blah, blah. We had been friends forever and I started dating him. And on paper, it looked so great, right? but I, I had to, I, I broke it off because as I got to know him and looked at the situation, I was like, oh my gosh, another dysfunctional pattern. I could see it. He yes. didn't drink too much more than I thought he should. Uh, he didn't make the, he had some real codependency issues. And there I was starting to, even though he was the healer, I was the one starting to take care of him. And I noticed it and I ended it. And it was hard. It took me to a course. But having that awareness, you wouldn't have even had that before until probably you were a lot further down the line into that relationship. Yes. Yes. And then I would have felt trapped or, or, you know, yes. So, so yes, I definitely, but then also I will say this too. Also, I broke that pattern of leaving relationships. So there's this, you know, when you really becomes introspective and I'm writing part two. So part two of my memoir, there's a three part series. Part two, it's, uh, it's called Lather, Rinse, Repeat. And it's all about these nice. same relationships. I mean, it's about other things too, but you know, there's this pattern. I of, love the title, like Lather, Rinse, Repeat. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. it totally is. Because it's so, a lifelong journey of healing. 
Yes, but I would get to these places where I would choose these men. I would have such high expectations. <laughs> they were never going to meet them. When, when mm. they didn't meet them, I would become so disenchanted, and then I was out there, gone. It was gone. Mm. It was vacated. And so that was my pattern. And mm. so being able to finally break that pattern, uh, oh, my gosh, it was so hard. It was hard, but I yeah. did. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's a, it's really interesting how the psyche works and how we like we can have one pattern and I mean I look back on my own life and my own dating issues and in history. You know, I had one pattern and then, you know, kind of worked through that and then another one emerged and it's like, okay, now I got to work through that. Um it's it's fascinating to me how how that works i think if i had to do it all over again i think i would go and get a psych degree or two <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really fun. i mean it, it is you know it, it, i'll tell you it does help you with the introspective piece but then again there'll be things you gloss over so that's where you have all your psych friends will point things out right <laughs> i right. had a friend point out to me years ago um, we were talking about the movie Breakfast at Tiffany's, and he goes, well, you know that's you, right? I go, what do you mean that's you? Goes, you are that character. I was like, no, I'm not. He goes, yes, you are. He goes, okay, you're not a prostitute, but, you know, he goes, that's you. You don't commit in relationships, or you leave, or you, you know, whatever. You, you're avoidant, is what he called me. Mm. And I really had to take a look at that. And I was like, oh, wow. So then, you know, I didn't see it. I liked the movie. I, I could relate to the character. He's like, well, of course you can relate because that's you. <laughs> like, okay. So I love having friends in the field that will be happy to point out things that you miss, like that are in your blind spot, right? You can't see them. Absolutely. So, that's why I love having coach friends too. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then reading books, uh, the best book I've read on relationships, I would say one of the best ones is a book called Attached. Okay. And it's all about attachment theory and, you know, how it, are you securely attached? Are you insecurely attached? And I was not securely attached. I was, I was even worse than an avoidant. I was what's called an anxious avoidant, which means, you know, you get really clingy in the beginning, right? You're like, oh, this person's so great, even though they could be a convicted felon or, you know, they could, you know, whatever. Whatever the case may be, insert dysfunction. Yeah. Yes. So great. And then you think, oh, this is it. You know, this is, I finally found my person, you know, whatever. And then when you realize that, that they're not it, and it could be anything, you, um, you see how they eat their food and you don't like it, right? Or you see that uh, you don't floss your teeth, like all of a sudden they're the devil, they don't floss. Or, or, you know, obviously bigger things happen too, but then you become that avoidant and then you pull away and pull away. And then one day you just leave them high and dry and they're like, what, what happened? I thought we were something baby. And you're like, yeah, no, you're already on to the next thing. Yeah. 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 That's, that's so true. So, you know, there's patterns, there's so many different patterns. Um, when you look at, you know, going from that disenchanted, you know, princess, as you and I had talked about to that, you know, empowered queen, can you talk, you know, some more about that and, and sure. say how, you know, that resonates with you and, and potentially how that can help other women? Yes, absolutely. So I think we all, so if you look at society as a whole, society really, um, 
promotes the princess and the prince, by the way, but really yes. never promotes the king and the queen, right? If you watch the Disney movie, yep. the king and the queen, the queen's either, either evil, right? Really non-existent, right? So true. Oh, true. Every, Every Disney movie, movie ever. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. I never even thought of that, but it's so yeah. true. Think about the frozen. Oh, the parents were had deceased or, you know, whatever. And so when you look at that, Society, there's no rites of passage for a young woman to enter into being a queen. The only real way she does it is if she has the fortune of having a mother who is a bit of a queen, who can show her the way. And most mm-hmm. most women uh, don't really get there in very many areas of their life, right? Yeah. So when you look at I, my mom was not a queen. My mom was a huge disenchanted princess. However... Mm-hmm. In many ways, my stepmother was a queen, and I learned so much from her that, you know, I think kind of saved me a little bit, too, and we're the best of friends. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, she was a woman who just took no crap. She, I hardly, I never saw her cry, not saying that's a good thing, but she just had it together. Her house was in order. Her stuff was in order. Uh, she had her to-do list, and she, she didn't take any crap from anybody. So maybe some from my dad, but as far as, she just had it together, and I was like, wow, I want to be like that, right? Yeah. Uh, I could do it on the outside. I could make sure my house was clean. You know, I could make sure my shoes matched my handbag. But, you know, it's like, how do I do it on the inside? Because my mother mm. was such of, she had that victim mentality. My mom was an abuse survivor. She was a huge trauma survivor as well. But she mm. never took ownership. She, I mean, to her dying day, everything that went wrong in her life was somebody else's fault. Mm. That's a horrible way to live. And so many people live like that and don't even realize that they're keeping themselves in that victim mentality. It is health corroding. It is life corroding. And I knew I never wanted to be like that. So I think that's where the patterns emerge. Like, you know, so the disenchanted princess, I wasn't like that in my everyday life. I worked hard, put myself through college. Nobody, you know, gave me a handout. I did everything on my own bought my own first house, you know, by myself. I think it was, it was I was only 20 years old. I mean, I had it together. Oh. But, but where I <clears throat> chanted was the relationship stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I, was like, I have a very similar story to right? that too. Yeah. I, I have always had friends say, oh, you know, you're so successful and, you know, you've always had, you know, a good career and things like that. And, you know, and then you look at the choices of the relationships that I made and it just doesn't, doesn't make sense, you know? Um, so well, yeah, I, and what I tell women too, is don't beat yourself up for it because no. those patterns form early and they're deep, they're yes. deep, but all we can do is every day, just keep trying to peel back those layers. Like you were talking about, you discover one pattern and then you work through that open. Yep. There's another one. And I still discover patterns. My, I'm married now happily. Finally, you know, I'll tell you about that later, but my husband and I, I mean, we constantly find patterns, you know, he had a tumultuous childhood as well. And, and, um, you know, we talk about him and then it's like magic how, okay, now we're moved on like to the next level. It's like a video game. Now we're at this next level. Yes. Harder. I had a coach once who described it as like an upward cycle. Yeah. Right. Like you're, you're constantly, you know, you might, 
you learn something new and then you keep going around and you're going and as you go you evolve and you and you become higher in consciousness each roundabout i guess <laughs> yes and then the challenges are greater in some ways because you have more consciousness to meet the challenge right exactly yeah absolutely and that's what what's so amazing is that you know our consciousness, if we allow it to, and if we do the work, <clears throat> it just keeps getting better and better because, you know, the challenges get bigger, but the quantum leaps of, of consciousness and of happiness and of, you know, abundance and success just keep getting bigger. Yes. Right. Yes. And so, uh, yeah. So with the disenchanted princess, it's like, we have to come to terms that no one is going to have the magic key to make us happy. We have the key, right? And if you don't seize your own, you know, the control of your own happiness to as much as, you know, to the degree that you can control it, right? I always say like 80-20 rule. Probably mm -hmm. about 80% of my happiness or my peace or whatever is within my uh, grasp, right? Things that I can control what yes. my morning routine looks like, if I'm going to the gym, if I'm not, if I'm eating well, if I'm not, if I'm sleeping, right? If I'm setting mm -hmm. goals, if I'm holding myself accountable. So the disenchanted part for me was I had so many awful male role models and relationships. Like I wanted that one guy who was going to be like, you're amazing, babe. Have a great day. What can I do for you? Let me play with your hair. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I did find that. I have to tell you, this will be in the book, but I, I did finally find that person. Mm -hmm. And um, when I say he was near perfect, he was like near perfect in so many ways. He, when it was that time of the month, he would like put surprises in my car, like little pieces of chocolate and a note. Like he was that wonderful. And then I came home early from work one day and I found him with another man. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> so gay men, they can oh, be boy. great besties, but maybe not boyfriends or husbands. So yeah. Oh my goodness. So that was, that was fairly devastating. So I was like, I finally found like this person who loves me. And yeah. Yeah. Yikes. Yep. Yeah, came home early from work. And I didn't catch them in the act. They were coming out of my bedroom, but it was pretty heavy. Enough. <laughs> so I was gone two weeks later, devastated, I must tell oh, you. Man. Well, get past that. But um, yeah. long story short, so you know, that was that was a, a small little eye-opening of like, all right, how do I, you know, how do I stop putting my peace and happiness, you know, in somebody else's basket, like if they're there, yeah. not there, you know? And so yeah. I didn't learn that overnight. It, it was like a brick to the face over, yeah. over. but it was, that was kind of like the start of like, Oh, cause I thought, Oh, okay. I just have to find the right person. When I find the right person, then it all falls into place. It's like, no, not necessarily. It's almost like we have to be the right person to find the match that matches our energy and, you know, our consciousness. Yeah. And I think too, I think, yeah, even sometimes what like that right match, sometimes you bring out the worst in each other just so that you can heal it. 
mm. and on. So it can still get messy, right? But as yes. long as you're both committed to uh, working through it and being a strong team, then I think that's that's the uh, you know that's the bonus. And then you can have those happy, happy, happy moments or, you know, joyful moments or peaceful moments. And then, you know, inevitably something else will come up. And then like yes. you were saying earlier, it's that upward spiral. Then you're challenged again. How am I going to handle this? Right. Mm. Yeah. I, um, something else that uh, a previous coach had said to me, a relationship coach is, um, and this is stuck with me and I kept this kind of my motto is that, a relationship for a relationship to be healthy and successful, it requires two individuals who are both, I don't want to word this properly, who are both um, committed to the growth of the relationship as well as their own personal growth. I like that. Yes, it's true. Because you know, if you're not committed to your own personal growth and your relationship, and if your partner isn't, you know, if one of those pieces is missing, it's going to be an uphill battle. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. For sure. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's really funny, especially when you have had relationship trauma, you know, or things not work mm -hmm. out so many times in the past, even when my husband and I got married, you know, we were so happy, but yet, his patterns were emerging and my patterns were emerging and that's like, Oh, oh what do we do? So, mm. um, I mean, we got premarital counseling and we, you know, still, we still talk to that person from time to time. Who's great. And, you know, just staying on track and saying, okay, how, because there's times I'll tell you one of the, one of the awful traits that I came out of my childhood with was the ability to say the meanest thing ever to somebody mm. because that was my only defense growing up yeah. from, with a really mean stepdad and a mom who was just off the rails. You know, I couldn't overpower them physically, but I could really cut with my words and I was good with mm -hmm. words. Right. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, I had to really learn the hard way that in relationships, when you get to that point, even though somebody else is saying something mean, like I could, I can, always top it always and um you know to say i'm not gonna do that yeah and it's like it's like trying to hold in a sneeze sometimes yeah <laughs> hard good that's a good analogy yeah and i'm an east yeah. coast Italian girl like i we have sharp tongues like i want to say that mean thing and uh, not every day. I mean, it takes a lot to get yeah. me there. But once I'm there, it's like, oh, I really want to cut you with my words. And so, um, you know, I, I have that to work on still. I still work. I mean, much better. <clears throat> yeah. But, you know, we always, we just, we always have that stuff. So. Yeah, absolutely. So for any, any um, women, you know, that can relate to, you know, a part of your story, and I think everybody probably can, you know, relate to pieces. Um, what would you say, you know, as far as like a piece of advice, let's say, I guess, on moving yourself from, if you find yourself being that disenchanted princess, to moving yourself more into that queen, mm -hmm. that, that powerful queen mentality? 
Well, uh, yeah, for sure. I think it starts with really learning how to love yourself. And I know we talk about that in the self-help community all the time, but I don't mm-hmm. think people really understand what it looks like. And yeah. I'm the same, you know, I was like, oh, you got to love yourself. Uh, how? When no mm. one taught you how. So I read a book a long, long time ago called The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck. And he, he, there's one line in that book that just struck me. He said, self-love is self-discipline. Mm. And it is so true. And I love so, that. Self-love is self-discipline. Yeah. You are disciplined with yourself, whether it's you say no to the cookie, whether it's you say yes to the gym, whether you say no to the bad relationship, it's the self-discipline. That is, that is a big part of self-love. Also, you know, self-love is self-care, going in for that massage, all of that. But there's the other side of it, which is the self-discipline. And that's the piece that people need to dig deep and hold mm-hmm. themselves accountable to. And if you can't yeah. do it on your own, I say get a therapist, get a coach. Yep. Yeah. Get somebody who holds you accountable for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, I've gone through years of therapy and I've read all the self-help books, you know, um, and it, it wasn't until that I added the layer of coaching when I went through IPEC to get my coach training certification uh-huh. that it kind of all came together because there's different pieces that different modalities will help you with. There's stuff you can do on your own. There's stuff that you can really get worked through and, and break through with a, with a therapist. And there's different things that you work through with a coach. And I think the combination is a winning combination for sure. It was for me and I know it has been for other people too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you know, the other piece that really pushed me over the edge was um, really connecting with my spiritual self in a way that I hadn't before. Mm. And I was, I've always been a Christian. I've always been a believer. Uh, But you know, you can say that, yeah, I believe in God, but did I make it a part of my daily practice? No, not, Mm. you know, for a very long time I didn't. And then when I did, probably in my late twenties, I found this real new agey church and it was like, oh, we worship, or we uh, respect all religions, and we do this. And on the surface, it seemed really great, except for me, it was all of that, oh, just think positively, and everything mm-hmm. will be fine, positive affirmations, and meditations, and all this stuff. And it was, it was comforting, mm-hmm. uh, but it didn't get to the root. I was like, nah, I need to go through the messy stuff. Yeah right? I need to actually go through the messy stuff. Now the book, the power of now changed my life. It's on my, it's on my uh, audible and I haven't, I haven't started listening yet, but I, I, I know that it's deep and I know that it's one that I gonna, I kind of need to be ready for cause it's heavy, but I've heard that it's life-changing. It's life-changing. And I'll tell you, uh, it, I really attribute attribute my sanity largely to that book. I found it by accident. Mm. And uh, when I read through, I was like, whoa. I probably found it 16 years ago now. And uh, I taught classes in it. I make most of my clients read it. And we read it chapter by chapter because you have to go through it. It's really meaty. Now, mm. he, he doesn't really tell you in the book 
to go through all your trauma because he says, you know, what happened in the past doesn't exist anymore. And that's true. However, he gave me the foundation of a sense of peace and a sense of presence enough to be able to go through the trauma work. Mm, I think yeah. if I tried to go through the trauma work without having that piece of the foundation, I think I would have disassociated, honestly. Yeah, e- I, easily enough, easy enough for someone to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my mother did. My, my mother was mentally ill throughout most of my childhood and her my whole adult life until she passed away three or four or five years ago. I don't know. But, you know, she just, that victim mentality and that unresolved trauma will eat away at you. It just erodes your psyche, erodes your health, it erodes everything. And even your, yeah, your physical health as well. That's so true. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't even until I got older that I realized I was a trauma survivor. Like, I didn't label myself that way. identify with that. I I didn't know. I was like, well, this is just my life. And then you start reading other people's stories. I go through grad school. I'm like, oh, well maybe this really did affect me. Yeah. Yeah. I always thought if I could escape my crazy family, I could go out and live life and be fine. I just had to get away from them. But then you don't realize that they've programmed you and you know, you have, you have a lot of their traits, you know, you don't see that. Yeah. (laughs) Just like the movie thing, right? Like the character in the, the uh, breakfast club movie. Yes. Yes. She escaped. (laughs) Like you don't realize and you're like, Oh, crap. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I do have more, more, uh, uh, similarities here than I'd maybe like to acknowledge. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, and her story is interesting. So, you know, she grew up super poor, some old guy took her in and she realized she didn't want that life either. She was raising his kids and, you know, doing whatever. And so she fled to New York and she was living this fabulous life on the outside uh, but she couldn't have relationships and she couldn't connect with people and everything was very superficial. And mm. I wouldn't say everything in my life was very superficial, but I would say, um, yeah, was I living this fabulous life? Was I jet setting all around, you know, doing these things? Sure, I was. Miami, LA, New York, all the time. And then, um, it, it, you know, not connecting. And then I would, I would try to settle down and have a relationship and then I'd feel stifled and smothered or, you know, it wasn't going exactly the way I wanted it to go. And then I was like, peace out. Right. So yeah. finally yeah. being able to, to say to my husband, no matter what we're together, yeah. like no matter we're together. Yeah. We'll figure any, everything is, uh, and this isn't uh, my current uh, coach says, you know, everything is figure outable. And, and that's, that's what a healthy relationship has to it as well is that you know you just we'll figure out we'll figure it out right yep and being willing to to do that work yeah well it's you know it's it's amazing to see like someone like you who has come from such a difficult upbringing to being you know able to overcome that and and really help other women do the same is is just it's very inspiring it, it's very inspiring and the, what tell me the name of your book again I'm going to read it I yeah so my book is called Riding Standing Up Riding Standing Up yes. you know it's uh yeah it's the story of my childhood and the riding standing up comes from learning how to ride a bike that was too big for me and I could only ride it standing up so it ah. was a metaphor for my life that I did everything the hard way Ah, I love that. That's a great metaphor. 
Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Except now it's like, I don't want to do everything the hard way. Right. Yeah. I've done that. Now I'm ready to try, try doing things a little less, uh, you know, with a little less uh, difficulty. (laughs) Yes. And you know, uh, I think that's a big challenge for women who go through trauma. I think some women become overachievers. Some women, Mm. you know, don't, right? Uh, Like my mom, my mom couldn't function. uh, But so people like myself, a lot of times we become the caretakers, the overachievers. And so I look at my plate all the time and I'm like, oop, I put too much on there again, put too much on there. And then literally taking something off is painful. Yeah. Removing a splinter. That's it, relatable for me as well. Is it? Yes. Yeah, very much so. I've always been a, an overachiever. And it's, yeah, it is. When you go to try and take something off, there's guilt and stuff that comes with it. And it's like, no, that, that, that I have to take care of me because if I can't take care of me, I can't take care of everybody or anybody else. Yes. And that's <laughs> the piece. That's the piece that, uh, that's it's part of that self-love thing. Yeah. And I tell people it's okay to be the center of your own universe, not in a narcissistic way, but in a self-care way. If I don't yeah. start with me, then I'll give you a perfect example. This morning I was really busy, right? But I had to, I had to get up feed the pets. There's a lot of pets. There's two dogs. There's a bird. There's two ducks. There's a turtle, right? <laughs> I know. Got a little farm there, girl. <laughs> well, and it's a, it's a big switch for me, right? Going from jet set lifestyle to, you know, small town Midwest. So, and I love it, but it's like, I'm doing all this stuff and I was like, okay, I've got this appointment, whatever. And then uh, the hair didn't get dried yet. And then I was like, oh, I didn't take my vitamins. And so, you know, it seems like it's no big deal, but then you put that day one, day two, day three. So it was like, why didn't I start with my vitamins first? This is a very simple, basic example. I'm still a work in progress too. Like, yeah. It, girl, start with the freaking vitamins. Those are, that's what you need to be healthy. Yep. Right. It was my example this morning. I didn't take mine yesterday. And, um, you know, my medicine as well. I'm on antidepressants. I have no problem saying that it's helped keep me sane. And, you know, there's some vitamins and minerals there. And when I don't take those, then yeah, my health suffers and, and, you know, my day suffers and it's even little things like that. Yes. Yes. Right. Have to, you know, so that's where I'm at right now. Just even like tweaking put yourself first, but it's not my, it's not my, um, first inclination to think of myself first. It's my first inclination is to think of everybody else that needs to eat and be taken care of. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ongoing process. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I have two, uh, two young children. So, you know, putting, putting myself first is often challenging, um, in there because you have to kind of put them first but also have yourself in there. Like it's a, it's a delicate balance. Yes. Yes. Well, and do you put them first? I mean, I would challenge that a little bit and be like, well, obviously if your star, if there's food is limited, you're probably as a mom going to give them food before you give yourself food. Right. Yes. Yeah. However, is it, you know, is it going to be better for them in the long run if you're taking your vitamins and your medications right first before you because then otherwise we forget and then you don't take them right it just yeah yeah very true that is yeah very true I have I have set I have definitely drawn a boundary there 
um, at times when, you know, the distractions start coming in. Mommy, I need this. Mommy, I need to do that. Mommy, what about this? <laughs> I'm like, pause. Mommy's just got to finish taking her medicine and her vitamins right now. Yeah. And then we'll, you know, I've definitely done that. And that's, that's like you said, work in progress that it, those are baby steps because, you know, in the past it's been tough. Yeah. And, you know, especially for my husband's a little bit of a caretaker too. And uh, so he has a son who's 12. So I have a 12 year old stepson and he's here, um, you know, for a certain amount of time, just about every day and at our house. And the other day, uh, so they were eating in the basement and I guess my stepson had spilled something, uh, smelled some food on the couch. And my husband said, oh, don't sit there. I have to clean it. He spilled. And then my first thought was, well, why isn't he cleaning it? But I didn't say anything. And then I went back upstairs and then he comes up. My husband comes up with all these dishes he's carrying, dirty dishes that weren't even his. And then my stepson's walking up carrying nothing. And again, <laughs> I didn't see anything. But in my head, I'm like, why are you not making him carry his dirty dish? Mm -hmm. And he goes back downstairs and he's going to clean the couch. And he goes, he goes, oh, I feel like I'm always picking up after people. I At that point, I was like, whose fault is that <laughs> hello <laughs> yes I catch myself doing too, I mean my kids are six and ten so they're a little younger but there's definitely think you know they can take their plates from the table and put them in the dishwasher <laughs> like, that's not something that I need to do for a six and a ten year old at this point so we have to be careful I think as parents sometimes we just give so much you know, I'm actually in the process of writing a parenting book right now. Um, nice. Yes, because it's so important. We have generations now of kids that are not, they're not self-sustaining and they're not, mm -hmm. they're not creating independence. So I was having coffee with a friend of mine the other day. I don't drink coffee, but we were having tea. And um, she was telling me how her 12-year-old daughter mows the grass and her 10-year-old son is picking up dog poop in the yard. Now, my... 12 year old stepson picked up dog poop once and he complained about it for a long time <laughs> and I saw my husband like um they're they're kind of his dogs like he can pick it up he's almost a teenager he's in seventh grade and my husband just looks at me sometimes like blank stare you know the blank stare like what hadn't <laughs> thought of it yeah and it's tough terrible. it is tough yeah, I have to with divorce because then, you know, I think you, you're so worried that you're going to upset your kid and your kid's not going to love you anymore. You know, all that stuff that goes along with it. Yeah. So I always tell parents like, no, 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 no. Get on the same page and still have that kiddo be accountable. But yeah, when my friend was saying, yeah, my daughter mostly are, I was just like, high five. And so yeah. I, I had to, I said to her, I go, oh, do you have to be back anytime? She goes, no, my son's cooking dinner tonight. I've got plenty of time to chat. And I was like, Yay! So she's <laughs> he's cooking dinner. So she's got to figure it out. I was really yes. I need to have a conversation with her. <laughs> <Right>? yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So yeah. So um, like I said, very very cool. Yeah, we have to. We have to learn yeah. how to love ourselves with the self discipline of putting our needs first, putting ourselves first. And yeah. uh, doing the spiritual practice, doing the, you know, and that was, oh, I was going to tell you quick about that. So that was the piece 
that really changed it for me. So I was living in Houston and it's a long story how I ended up there. My mom had passed away. My two younger sisters lived there. I thought they needed me, which they did not. Um, the hurricane had just happened. I had just gone through that breakup. Um, I was living in uh, outside of LA. I did not like it there. And my sister was like, come to Houston. So I did. Oh, I, it was not the place for me, but I, I got a lot of healing there and I had a lot of insights. I was there for a couple of years. Mm. And one of the things I did, so I had started dating out there and I was like, not impressed. Oh, I just was not impressed. I'm sure there are good men in Houston. They were not coming to my door. So <laughs> the universe knew you weren't going to stay there. That's why. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. But I completely <laughs> took myself out of the dating pool and I created a prayer closet. And I went into that thing religiously every day. I started my day in there. I had uh, flamingo twinkle lights, a picture of Jesus, and a couple, a Bible and a, some religious books, you know, whatever. But I'm also just be in there and just like, listen. It was dark. I kept it dark except for the flamingo lights. And I would say my prayers. I'd read a little devotional. I'd look at Jesus in his face because there was my accountability. Like to actually look somebody in the eye. And you know those little pictures of Jesus, they always look like they're looking at you no matter where you are. Yeah. I needed that. I needed somebody to look back at me, not judge me, and just, you know, be with me and all my issues. And uh, then what I did was I created a list. Uh, and I got this from Tony Robbins. You know, he's got a lot of good stuff out there. And he said, instead of oh, saying sure. I should, say I must. And so I made a list of all the things that I must do. I must nourish my body with healthy foods. I must honor my need for sleep. I must protect my peace, you know, on and on and on. So I started every morning by just looking at this photo and seeing these things out loud. Mm. And, uh, and I would talk to God about, you know, yeah, I'd like to have a family. I'm this old. I don't have kids yet. Like I'd like to have that. And, uh, I started hearing messages back, like, well, start taking prenatal vitamins. I'm like, what do you mean start taking prenatal vitamins? There's no man in the picture. And I literally heard God say, you leave that to me. I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. So here I am going to work, working, coming home and going in my prayer closet, you know, at night sometimes in the morning and just kind of disconnecting from the world. Mm. And that really made the biggest difference. It just made such a huge difference. Shortly after, I think it was three or four months, I met my husband quite by happenstance and then things just took off quick. And, uh, but I never stopped that practice, even though mm. I was like, okay, now I have this happy relationship. You know, I moved and you know, all these things happened. I never stopped that practice. And I just intensified it honestly, because I was like, this is what I've been missing. This mm -hmm. I was saying, you know, I'd say my half-assed prayers. Right. Right. But I didn't really connect and I didn't really apply yeah. it to me. And like, somebody loves me. And you know, it's so funny. I got this picture of Jesus from a friend who went to a funeral and he's like pointing in his heart. He's like, Hey, <laughs> and, uh, it was just, it was a huge, huge step in my, I would call it integration. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Not being fearful, knowing somebody or some, you know, a benevolent force has my back wants good things for me, wants me to also work hard. So when I say that I must listen, I'm looking at the face of Jesus. It's like, I better follow through. Right. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, so a I spiritual practice, whatever that looks like for, for everybody, yeah, you know, can look absolutely. different, like different for, for different people. But yeah, I, I, I agree. Having that um, time where you connect with, with your spirituality is it. I have been doing that a lot more this year. And I've noticed that a lot of things have shifted for me, uh, even with that, with that change. So yeah. I agree. Good. That. Well, and you just, you know, again, it's like that you're feeling worthy. You're mm -hmm. taking the time, you're, you're cultivating your self-worth. Because as trauma yeah. survivors, a lot of times, you know, we just, it's not there. We don't feel mm -hmm. it, we can't connect to it. Or sometimes, you know, we just, we can't find it. But you cultivate it like you're, like you're growing a garden every day. You're mm -hmm. tending it, right? Yeah. And pretty soon, like one day I got teary because I looked at the list. I was like, I'm doing every one of these things. That yeah. had never happened to me before. Usually I could do good in a couple areas and then a few others would suffer. Mm -hmm. Right? Yep. Yeah. Have you ever yeah. that? <laughs> All the time. Yeah. <laughs> why? Yep. I can't, why when I put my focus over here, I can't still do this thing over here. Why? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's true. It's, it, it's, it's, yeah, <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. So that practice, honestly, that was the shift for that, that now I can, I can manage my health and fitness and still get sleep and still take the vitamins and still, you know, whatever, it, maintain my, uh, my peace, protect my peace. That was huge for me to not let other people's dramas zap my peace, you know, or whatever is going on. So, yeah. um, yeah. So I got teary and I cried. I was like, wow, this is the first time in my life. I'm actually doing it all. Yeah. Now, of course, you know, then that other side of me is like, well, now it's time to add to the list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's, let's keep going. Yep. Absolutely. Right. absolutely. I'm going to be slow and diligent about that. So. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Be kind to yourself for sure. Yeah. Well, you know what, Sparrow, this, this has been such an amazing conversation and I am so grateful that you came, you know, took the time to, to talk to me today. I will definitely share your uh, link in the show notes as far as your, your book and your website and all the fun stuff that you're doing. Um, and uh, it'll be, we'll have to have you back after the, once the next installment um, of your book is, is completed and we can talk about that. I would love that. I would love that. And um, yes, keep in touch. And I can't wait to start listening to your podcast. Super exciting. Empowered yes. Women is, that's what we do. That is what we do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 